Hello and welcome to the Kit Monsters Music and Tech Voices podcast, where we talk to people at the cutting edge of creativity and innovation in some very exciting fields. I'm Terry, and in this first episode, we talk to Berlin based hybrid music artist and creative director Portrait XO about her work in AI and how she is setting out to democratize new technology. Hello, and welcome, Portrait XO. It's lovely to be talking to you today. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so nice to see you and hear you again. It's always such a joy. (laughs) Thank you. Now, we're here today to talk about some amazing work that you're doing in AI and a new instrument that you've created. But tell us first, how did you get into AI in the first place? Um, I have CJ to credit for this, for the whole chaos (laughs) that... um, the chaotic world of AI that I've entered. Uh, We met back in 2015 when I put together a global trackathon music competition for Music Tech Fest in Sweden and he won and then I ended up interviewing him and then he sucked me into his crazy world of computational creativity with audio doing all kinds of crazy stuff like making music from code and um yeah he started telling me about what he was working on at the time it was super abstract and i honestly had a hard time grasping what the possibilities could sound like and then um he did a project with reaps and that gave me a much better understanding of like oh wow that's really cool can we try that with my vocals and um so we had that conversation and then We ended up having a residency together at Factory Berlin, and that really gave us a chance to um, do experiments. And those experiments then became the album that I am finalizing all the visuals for now for release. Wonderful. And just give us a a picture of your kind of musical um, background up to that point. So before you got into AI. Yeah, so um, I I learned classical piano from four till 15 and um, and music from a young age became a very rebellious thing for me because I never felt like I had a choice of what style of music I could play. Like I was always passionate about music. But I think it was like when I was six, I heard jazz for the first time. I don't know, we were walking down somewhere and like I just overheard it in a cafe or something. And I just started dancing and I was like asking my mom if I could learn how to play jazz instead because I never heard that before. And um, when I was like, oh, what kind of music is this? I want to learn how to play like this. And she was just like, immediately shut me down like no jazz is not real music classical music is the only real music (laughs) um and it's like you know I'm just a child not fully understanding but at the same time I think deep down I just felt like I wanted to rebel immediately um and so 
Uh, as I got older, by the time I was 14, I, um, my piano instructor at the time uh, wanted to prepare me to um, audition for Juilliard. So that was like a very specific path of like, okay, classical pianists, you know, this is like, and there's a very specific path that you take to, to go into that world. And, um, and, and that was very much against what I really wanted to do. And so I, I actually quit all piano lessons at that age. And that was like the beginning of just like, I made it, um, I, I, I guess it kind of like traumatized me in a, in a way of um, not wanting to seek any further education in music after all of that. And, and I wanted to just like deprogram and, um, and do everything I could to, to just explore music on my own terms. And, um, and then I got introduced to Bjork and Radiohead and Massive Attack and that whole era of music just completely blew my mind away. And, um, and then just like, you know, one rabbit hole leads to another of just like, not just the music and the style, but also like approaches like David Bowie and Verbicizer. Um, and I think that like artists, I mean, I think I'm sure if David Bowie was alive right now, he would totally be all up in the AI game, <laughs> you know? Um, I just, I just remember it's like, you know, seeing all this GPT-3 and like the AI text um, storytelling and narrative writing. I mean, that's like, that's Bowie all over it. You know, he would be, he would be part of this dialogue for sure. Um, and so I guess, I guess the, the obsession with technology like started from um, a very musical place, music production, and then learning about people's approaches and also Laurie Anderson. Um, I just ended up falling deeper and deeper into like the tech space. And I don't know, I just, I love nerding out about like why things work the way they do. And then what are the glitches? Like how? <laughs> um, and I think um, it's really fun and exciting because it keeps, at least it keeps me on edge and it just keeps like pushing me out of my own comfort zone. and. Um, I try my best to keep my own excitement levels up, or at least my, my own curiosities and my interest levels moving forward. Um, cause I guess like, like all of us creatives go through periods where it's like an ebb and flow of like, when we feel sparks of inspiration and when we don't. And, um, so with AI, like that came, that happens in a time when, I really, really wanted to evolve and just like try something I've never tried before. And, um, and yeah, just like find new approaches and methods. Wonderful. And you're an absolute pioneer in the creative use of AI. And you've been entering the AI song contest, haven't you? Twice now, because it's only been going like two years. So tell us about this year's entry. Yeah, so this year I collaborated with this really great singer, songwriter, producer, Ramon Bezar, and um, we met in February, it was, um, during lockdown, and it was really also challenging to just like meet other creatives, so that was a really lovely um, happening, and we had like 
a couple sessions together. I think that was our second session actually, when we got together and tried um, and had a stab at making the song. And before that, um, I, after doing the first uh, audio experiments with CJ with my voice, for this year's song contest, I really wanted to find out if A, I could learn how to um, train my own audio and CJ taught me how to use these Google Colab notebooks. Um, and, and then I really wanted to train both my vocals and Ramon's vocals and try to morph them into each other um, by creating instruments of our voices and then singing into each other's voices. Um, and then just trying to take both of our voices and then and training it into a different AI model and, and just seeing experimenting with like what kind of interesting sounds would come out. Um, so yeah, that once that whole training of data happened, um, I selected a bunch of samples that I found really interesting and inspiring. And then once me and Ramon came together and put the track together, it came like pretty quickly and I think because um we just allowed the weirdness to kind of like take lead and then and then create a story and and the lyrics and the melody just kind of naturally came um and yeah so that was also like a really nice experience for me to work with another artist who never worked with AI before as kind of like also, uh, it's like a combination of, oh, look at this exciting new toy. I'm so excited. I just, I, I'm so excited about it. I just want to like share it with everybody. And then also the other side of like, I know I'm not crazy that this is really exciting. Can you try it? And I want to see your reaction. <laughs> and, and he was also really excited. And so that was really fun for me to just like witness someone else go through the same level of excitement that I got to experience when I had. Uh, my first introduction to AI with CJ. Um, and yeah. That sounds amazing. And it's um, a wonderful, wonderful track. Uh, but also there's an added extra that I really like, which is that you've annotated it so that people who are watching the sort of video of it can see where the AI samples come in and out. And um, I think that's a really sort of generous spirit to can reveal a lot about your process. And taking that onwards, you've also just released a new AI instrument that, that you've made public, you've made available to people. So what's the thinking behind that? I, I guess like from a lot of conversations I have with people who are very active in the open source community, I've been really inspired by the way, just this whole idea of, hey, I have something, here it is. Um, see what you do with it because I'm excited about it. And especially when it comes to innovation, it's such a, um, like there's a painful part of the process where <laughs> it's like, you just do a bunch of stuff that you've never tried before. Chances are like a majority of the stuff that comes out is gonna sound really weird, awkward, and you're probably not gonna be happy with it. Um, and a lot of the times like, you might have a great idea, but then once you put it into practice, like that journey between thought and execution, like you have to have so many iterations before <laughs> you actually get something out that's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the thing that I wanted. I didn't realize that's the thing, but you don't realize it until you like keep doing. And so um, CJ, who is just 
he's just so prolific at doing that where he just like does crazy things with his AI and then puts a bunch of stuff up for free. And then just to like share it with the world, but also like give people access to take that work that he's done and they can do whatever they want with it. Um, and I think there is a, um, there's so much like, at least in the music industry, the it's not the musicians that have a competition between each other, but it's the industry itself that I think there's this kind of like unfortunate competitive dialogue and narrative that they love to push forward <laughs> of like, um, I don't know, specifically in like the pop industry, maybe at least from how I remember it being born and raised in LA and this kind of like, you know, elbows against elbows, like everyone's fighting to get to the top. And then like going into the opposite end of that in the open source committee, it's, it's a competition vibe, but very different. It's like, oh, I have code here it is. And then someone else jumps in and they're like, oh, I want to add this to it. And then it's like also very transparent. And um, I'm, I'm also quite new to that style of communal work. Um, but I, I just found it really inspiring. And I also genuinely just love um, sharing. And I'm just always curious to see how other people's interpret the stuff that I find exciting. And I'm a big fan of democratizing AI so that it does become more accessible. Um, and I think more people who do get to play with these things, whether they're like AI samples or instruments, um, it'll just keep the, the creativity flowing in new ways. And um, yeah, I guess it's just also, I feel like um, it's a nice way to pass on like, you know, CJ brought me into all of this free open source community and open source way of doing things. So I feel kind of like it's my duty to now pass it on to the next. <laughs> I think it's a really admirable thing to do. Really, really great. But what I would like to do now is just find out more about this instrument, this canary bird instrument, because it came out of an amazing sounding residency you did. I say came out of, obviously it's a result of weeks of very, very hard work and training. So can you tell us a bit about, you know, what you did and, and the thought process behind it and what you ended up with? Sure. Um, so I used Google Colab Notebook. Um, DDSP autoencoder and Tomber transfer, which is available for anyone and everyone to use. Um, and this was the longest training amount of time that I've done with any audio training to turn into an instrument. And um, I decided to choose canary birds because of the way canary birds were used in old coal mines of Germany. So, um, for this residency particularly, I didn't have a set plan of what the outcome would be. I just arrived with tools and um, all my favorite things that I wanted to work with and decided to just like soak up as much information and then translate either like the educational side or maybe educational and musical um, and somehow create something playable. Um, and Playtronica was just so lovely with um, the like sessions we had before and taught me how to use their board. Um, and so, yeah, it was 
it was really great to just be more tactile also because AI is still so abstract. And so I wanted to create something that was um, the entry point into experiencing the thing that I created was easy enough. And so people could touch like coals and um, there were actual original coals from the coal mine that was dug up from like 1,040 meters below ground. And, um, and so as they touch each coal, they can hear sounds from like coal mines, the horses and um, canary birds, because canary birds and horses were very heavily used um, during the coal mine industry. And, um, but here kind of like a really strange morphing um, representation of them. Um, and so in the end, it just, it became like a playful way to experience these, um, I guess like a collage of sounds. And um, I, I just decided to leave it up to the audience to decide like how they want to interpret what they were playing with. This was for the um, was it for the New Now Festival, and it was to do with yeah. Zehir Solverein. Can you give us a bit of the setting so we can um, imagine more about the industrial side of things? Yeah, so Zehir Solverein um, used to be an old coal mine, and um, I was there for three weeks with nine other artists, and we all had different backgrounds and disciplines. So that was really fun. And we each had the opportunity to propose like our own concept of what we wanted to do in the space. Um, I love like creative challenges and I love when there are actually like short timelines to doing things. And so um, I don't, I didn't know very much about the coal mine industry and I was really surprised about learning how 2018 was the year when the last um, coal mine shut down. I mean, there's still coal mines that are open that do like brown coal mining, but um, I believe from what I learned, 2018 was the, the year when like the actual deep underground hard coal mining stopped. Um, and and yeah, the, the place is really beautiful. I would recommend everyone to, to visit sometime and they you can do tours and they drive you around to the different sites and you get to actually see the earth, um, where the earth and the water meet and the kind of like textures uh, before it becomes coal um, and like the conditions that, um, that actually make coal what it is, like the hard coal at least. And um, yeah, I, I found it really fascinating. I just thought like, wow, why didn't I know all this stuff before? And I was just, I just found myself feeling very um, contemplative and touched by the stories of how like canary birds were used to detect carbon monoxide in the coals before, in the mines before the uh, miners would go in. And if there was too high of a level, they would either chirp strangely or they would die. And the horses were just kept underground for like until they were unusable, basically. And the conditions were so terrible. It was like 38 to 40 degrees Celsius, um, terrible air quality. 
they'd have to like blindfold the horses as they brought them back up to land when they were too weak to carry coal around. And um, they had to introduce them back to sunlight slowly because they, otherwise they would just go crazy from like being kept in the dark for so long. And um, so it's really interesting to learn about like how we use animals as technology in like such a technological way. And now luckily we have advanced technology that no longer requires us and also no more coal mines <laughs> um, in Germany. And, um, and yeah, that was that my initial um, reason for using the canary birds and um, what I wanted to do with it actually didn't produce the results that I wanted. Um, and there's a song that was sung, Dash Steigerlied, I know I'm saying it wrong, um, that the miners sang when the last coal mine shut down. And my goal was to take that melody and have the canary birds sing it and have that be one of the coals um, that would play it when you would touch it in the sculpture. Um, but what ended up happening was my speculation is that because birds chirp at like not such a high dynamic spectrum of frequencies, it ended up sounding quite monophonic. And um, so I was in conversation with CJ about it. And by this point, it it was too late to go back and like try retraining because that was like, you know, I trained for days and days. Um, and he suggested like slowing down the the input of the canary bird so that the chirping is a lot slower because he thinks that it might be that it's the actual speed of the melodies that's too fast. Um, so, you know, this is, I, I have that in my process document as well. So if anyone wants to try that as an experiment, they're welcome to. And I'd love to hear if someone does um, try that out. And, and CJ basically recommends like maybe slow down the canary birds, train it for several days, and then um, and then whatever you then put in as audio to make it sound like birds, when it comes to the output, speed it up, and then maybe you'll get something interesting. I don't know. But, you know, this is like, um, that's the part where I found, I, where I would be really excited to see if, like, anyone else gets just as, like, um, interested in this and does decide to do that. Um, that would be really cool to, to hear. Um, but it does take some time. I would say like <laughs> a lot of patience. Um, I wanted to talk about that, the challenges of working with AI, you know, especially if you're creating your own tools, not just using someone else's. Is, is this something that's sort of recurred in the work you do or is it particular to this project? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that when I first started using Google Colab, um, it was surprising to see how not so user friendly it was in the beginning and um like cj helped me out a lot and i have a few other friends in the ai uh creative code community that helped and you know like you get error messages and i'm not a programmer so i don't understand <laughs> i i understand some of the basics enough to kind of try to work around some of the error codes um but there's a lot of like stop and restart and sometimes like restarting means that you have to just like start the entire training process all over again and it's like so there's you know there's definitely been 
frustrating points along the process. Um, but Google Colab recently um, published a new subscription model, which is a lot more. Um, so they have like the free account where you get like a limited amount of free GPU and that's enough for um, anybody to just like play with some small amounts of data processing and data trading and um, just to get like your head around it. And then if you really wanna do larger data sets, then you can do Google Colab Pro, which is like around 10, 11 euros. Um, but then that tends to run out based, uh, or at least I've had a lot of issues. And then they published a higher model, subscription model at 50 euros a month. They should pay me for this. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think they should. Yes, absolutely. But, um, but you did get to a point where you had, um, this is before uh, you were making the instrument available but you had your um your installation your sculpture and 10 ai audiovisual compositions that the audience members could interact with i mean that's an amazing achievement as an output thank you yeah it was a uh, a lot of um uh training time and um i was using Moises Horta Valenzuela's Melspec BAE model, as well as the DDSP autoencoder. So there was one side where I was making the canary bird instrument and the other data training of um, training different sounds that I was inspired by and um, grabbing like samples from that. Um, there were, I had a lot of support. Uh, Evo Suite also, um, they were really helpful and um, and there were so many like last minute things where it was a bit, it was a lot of like fingers crossed I hope you don't die moments <laughs> and luckily it um it was my yeah it was my first time ever making something where it was intended to stay up and running for I think it was four, 14 days yeah 14 days after uh it went live so that was an interesting process <laughs> um but it survived it all it all worked um until the end so um yeah it was it was my favorite project that i've worked on so far and i hope i get to do more installation work like that fantastic and well done but also your process document and this is where i think you know it's been, you've been wonderfully generous so so people can go on your website they can find a folder and see process documents um listen to clips of the you know ai training going on see some wonderful photos and so on and you've listed um samples and tools and um what do you think people uh could do with your instrument and what kind of things are you hoping they'll do and what kind of people are you hoping it'll attract to experiment further with it yeah um i don't know uh it's i mean this is the really interesting thing about working in the space is that like people are coming up with such bizarre approaches like i don't know I'd be curious, what would it sound like if someone takes the sound of like um, drilling noises and then put that into canary birds? Might, you might get something interesting. Um, but like I mentioned before, it does sound a bit monophonic. So that's like a, a warning <laughs> for anyone who does decide to experiment with the canary bird instrument. Um, but I don't know, maybe people will find um, 
another a different way to use it that I can't even think about at the moment. Um, and yeah, I don't know if somebody does find inspiring enough to take the sound of canary birds, slow it down, and 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 create an instrument with that, and then do some experiments with that. I would love to hear. So anybody listening, if they if they want to give it a go and try, um, would love to hear. There was. Oh, there was someone, was her name Mel, I think it was. Um, There's another artist who was really interested in using animals, like the sounds of animals for data sets. So we've been having some conversations and just gave some feedback of my experiment with birds. Um, but yeah, I ended up having to add like flutes on top of the birds so that the melody would come through because otherwise it was just like birds chirping with not much melody. <laughs> Right. Bird drones kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I will I will be publishing also the the 10 AI audio visual pieces. Um, I'm just I'm just planning on um, figuring out what's like the best way to do them. Um, NFTs. Right. I wanted to come on to the fact that you you also work in visuals. So um, tell me a bit about that, the visuals in this context. Yeah, so this, um, I use VQ GAN um, and CLIP, which has um, been something that's been super mind-blowing, the fact that like you can put text into a notebook and it takes your text and generates like images and a fully animated visual is just so crazy that that in itself actually exists. <laughs> Um, and the results are super fascinating. So um, I decided to take like really simple sentences like uh, birds and horses in coal mines of Zeph Silverine um, just to see what would happen. And I would I created like different variations of that sentence um, and basically generated all these um, visuals that you see when you touch each coal piece um so there are what's also really fascinating is every time you ask these ai models to produce um new images even if it's the same sentence it gives you slight variation so it's never the same <laughs> so it's yeah it's really really interesting um and there are some moments when when i had really like hair raising goosebumps moments when it would take like there's one of my favorite images of what looks like canary birds being eaten by the coal because you just see these like abstract looking yellow birds in the air and there's like smoke in the background and then the birds are like you can tell they're birds but they're not so defined and they kind of like morph into like it's like half black and half yellow and it's um i don't know it it, it was those are, that's when I find AI with the visual side of things so inspiring. And, um, and I've, I've learned it helps me to communicate like the way I feel about whatever narrative that I'm working on. So in this case, like the, um, the emotional story behind the way canary birds were used in coal mines. I just thought that image was just so um provocative to the story that I wanted to translate um so yeah I'm 
I have so much data that I have to sift through, um, but I do plan on um, on publishing more from this installation um, now that I have some a bit of downtime. It'll be great to see some of that work. And also you've got a bit of a history with creatures, haven't you? Because you did some beautiful space age creatures for a, a VR show that you curated and participated in um, at New Art City. Mm. Yeah, so it's, um, I, I guess I just naturally started gravitating towards um, visual work, especially since the pandemic happened, because um, I just, I don't know, like, I, I love music, I love sounds, I love um, production, but also there's something very, like, I love the immediacy of working with visuals and um, like 3D sculpting was probably the first step for me to then get into wanting to do actual like physical sculpture, doing starting with digital sculpture. Um, and yeah, there's just like, it's amazing that like there's a software like Blender, which is free um, to download. So it's, it's so this whole like um, open culture is just really, really cool. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I got really into 3D art making and I found it, I just find it really therapeutic. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just maybe also, it's like a combination of being isolated and not seeing enough humans that made me like create creatures that are maybe parts that are living <laughs> inside of me that want to come out. Um, but yeah, I've, I've genuine. I've really been feeling like way more creature-like than human-like since um, this massive shift in humanity happened. Okay, so we'll look forward to seeing more examples of that. Let's just uh, go back to the NFTs. You, so you're planning on um, minting some NFTs. What um, do you have a sort of preferred uh, process or platform for creators to do that? What's your current strategy around NFTs? Oh man, you're catching me right in the thick of it. I am. Um, I had a good conversation with CJ. He sent me a bunch of links to check out, and so I have some homework to do. <laughs> so it's kind of work in uh, progress. Yeah, totally. Um, I ha I feel really fortunate to have like some friends who are very active in the community that are up for helping and guiding. And now I just have to sit down and get my head around it all. I still find it very overwhelming and um, there's a lot of question marks in my head. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the whole like philosophy behind the ideas of like NFTs and the way they work makes so much sense. And um, I do think that it's exciting that there's this cultural shift of like, I don't know, independent artists being able to sustain in a, in a unique and new way, like DAOs and smart contracts. It makes so much sense. Um, but yeah, I know that there's also at the same time still a lot of pushback about like the, the environmental impact of, you know, using these systems and everything. But anything we use that involves technology has some kind of, you know, environmental impact, right? Unless we're like... <laughs> and people are working towards more eco-friendly options for all these technologies. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think if, if things will get better and improve. Now, one thing I must talk to you about is your album release, because uh, 
we've been through some times where we haven't been able to do shows properly and so on. And uh, you are going to be a South by Southwest artist for 2022, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Um, and just you. tell me what your what your plans are around the album release and a little bit about the album. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, I, I just did like a little sneak preview of plans in my last newsletter. And I guess this is my first time verbalizing more of it. Um, it was supposed to release last year <laughs> uh, when I was supposed to go to South by Southwest and obviously that everything got canceled. And then that put a huge um, like a thorn into my process. And then, so I had to just like give it a break for a bit and then go off and explore other ways to sustain myself. Um, and like, and, and I mean that mentally as well as financially and emotionally. And, um, and so my to-do list of like launching the album just got like bigger <laughs> because now I've learned how to do 3D art and how to build a metaverse and learning about like digital collectibles and NFTs, like, whoa, we can do all this new stuff. Um, but I also didn't want to rush into anything. Um, and I guess like naturally you can't really rush into some of these approaches if you're involving so many moving parts anyway, because all of it takes time. Um, so yeah, now I have like a whole um, new plan of releasing the album in a metaverse inside of New Art City. So people can check out the first um, group show that I curated and designed for Sound Obsessed that's on there. Um, and yeah, now I'm just kind of like back into 3D modeling again and building out this new world and um, and inviting some, some other collaborators also. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited. At the same time, it's like, I don't know, anytime I'm about to release an album, it's very nerve wracking too. <laughs> Has the album got a title? Yes, it is called um, Wire in short, but on the, the visuals of it, there's like these blank spaces and the blank spaces are sitting on a, so actually it's like sitting on a wire and uh, the blank spaces signify the AI audio that sings that line that is the that is what kind of gave birth to the process of um, writing in the style of like a neural vocal duet where I collaborate with the AI version of myself. I think it sounds completely brilliant. So it'll be great to, great to hear that when it's out. And finally, for people who have been inspired by uh, trying out your instrument or, or, or are complete beginners thinking they might want to get into um, AI for their creative work, have you got any tips at all? Is it patience they need to have lots of? What would you say? Patience, um, for sure. I'm also happy to help if they, if anyone ever finds error messages, um, if I can help them out, I'm happy to do. But I would say that like, yeah, a lot of patience, if things don't work, just restart, <laughs> start over. Um, and if you really want to get into uh, heavy like data training on Google Colab, um, I did find Google Colab 
pro plus helpful. It is quite expensive. It's like 50 euros. So um, maybe play around with the free version until you figure out what kind of data you want to train. And, um, and then once you have all of your audio that you want to train into some of these notebooks, then maybe get like your 50 euros for the month and then just train as much as possible for that whole month. Um, and it will be, uh, it won't be what you expect. And that's the exciting part of it. So expect the unexpected. I think that's, um, it's, it's a good way to just like stay curious about it. Uh, but yeah, patience. It's, it's a very, very long patience game. <laughs> Portrait Exo, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been brilliant, very inspiring conversation and wishing you well with all your forthcoming projects. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Portrait Xo. You can find her at portraitxo.space. You can check out more features and interviews on the Kit Monsters site, and we're also on Twitter at Kit Monsters and Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Synthetic voice design by Birds on Mars, Sol, and Krach.ai. Kit Monsters Music, Intact Voices Podcast.